everybody, welcome to Valley Church. I am so glad that you are with us or watching with us today. And I just want to say uh, real quick, uh, if you're watching at home, it would be great if you had maybe some elements for communion. We will be taking communion at the end of the message today. And for those of you at our venues, hopefully you were able to grab uh, the cup and the bread on the way to where you are right now. I love that you're here. I love that we're worshiping together. We're joining together, whether you're sitting in or you're clicking in. It is so great to have you as part of Valley Church. Here's a quick question for you. What would you do if you knew no harm would come to you? Uh, there's things in our lives that we kind of have put the, the pause on, or maybe we haven't taken that step of adventure and risk. But if we actually knew absolutely no harm would come, we, we, we might do it, right? We might take that risk or that step of adventure. You know, my kids, uh, as a young dad with young kids, they always loved when I threw them up in the air. I would just throw my kids up and I would catch them and I loved it. They saw it as adventure. They saw it as risk. They saw it as this amazing moment of danger. And my kids loved it. My wife didn't love it so much, but my, my kids did. I would just toss them up outside. Uh, uh, you know, my kids, even on the inside, they would jump to me from the steps. And, and they would grow a little more adventurous and take a little more risk as they would step higher and higher. And they would jump into my arms. Uh, sometimes they would jump at me even when I wasn't looking or when I wasn't prepared. They trusted me. They trusted that their dad would catch them every single time. And I even remember saying to them, boys, I want you to know that I will never drop you on purpose is what my goal was. I would never want to hurt my kids. I just wanted to enjoy those moments. And I remember uh, one day one of my boys came up to me and I just swept him up brought him into my arms, and after giving him the biggest hug, I just threw him up in the air, and we were in the living room, and he just started giggling. And what I know about me, and it's probably true for, for dads out there, when our kids giggle, it's like a drug. We just want more and more and more. And I threw him, and he giggled. Then I threw him a little higher, and he giggled. And I threw him so high, boom, he hit his head on the ceiling. We had vaulted ceilings. I didn't realize I was on the angled part. And he came down and he wasn't giggling. And I'm like, things are okay. This is okay. You think this is funny, right? <laughs> it's just some nervous laughter. And he, he, he was fine. He was fine. I never dropped any of my boys. I've never actually dropped any, any children. But I loved, I loved tossing. I loved having that moment with my kids. And, and for the most part, they felt invincible in those moments. You know, the Lord said something to the Apostle Paul. Pastor Quentin uh, went over it last week. He did such a great job of painting the picture of where Paul was in the city of Corinth. And, and here's, here's something that we, we read last week. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in the city. I love that. I love this incredible promise from our heavenly father to the apostle Paul. But the other thing I love about this is, is it just makes Paul to be this regular guy, which he absolutely was. You know, Paul is, is kind of in the same category as each and every one of us. Uh, you know, he's not a superhero. This guy, he knows a lot. He knows so much about scripture and somehow the Apostle Paul has unlocked this amazing level of obedience in his life, but, but he's just a normal guy. 
You know, he, he has struggles and fears just like you and I. The Apostle Paul has questions and concerns that aren't different than the questions and concerns that you and I have. You know, and, and as much as the Apostle Paul has been an encouragement to so many followers of Jesus and to so many churches, as an agent of helping strengthen those churches, Paul still needed encouragement. He still needed this word from God in his life. God sees his concern. In chapter 18 here, God sees his concern and, and he notices that Paul needs encouraged. And he needs a little bit of a nudge to have that confidence to keep the mission going. We're still in Acts chapter 18. I would love it if you would grab your Bible or open up your YouVersion app and flip to chapter 18 or click over to chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 12 today, and we're still in Corinth. Pastor Quentin, uh, he did a great job of defining this city uh, and, and these, these Corinthians. Uh, and just as a reminder, you know, Corinth was just a, a really immoral town. They were morally corrupt. It was kind of like the Las Vegas of scripture, but, but actually not just Las Vegas. I mean, a lot of towns here in the United States have the same problems as they had in Corinth. And Corinthians was actually a, a slang term. It wasn't a, a positive word. If you saw somebody you liked, you wouldn't say, hey, Corinthian. It would, it would be somebody that you were frustrated with or you didn't think were, were living a, a lifestyle that was, that was very great. Slang term, uh, it was very derogatory uh, because of how corrupt the city of Corinth was. You know, the city, it, they had personal issues uh, thriving in the city. There were moral issues. There were incredible spiritual issues. This was happening in the city as, as well as in the church there in, in Corinth. You know, these people were doing whatever they wanted to do, which is why the apostle Paul was in this city. He was, he was there to encourage, to align the church, to, to align Christians and, and to bring the gospel to a people group that desperately needed to hear about Jesus. Let's pick it up in, in verse 12. While, while Gallio was pro-council of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. This is not what we expect right now. I mean, the Lord just told the apostle Paul that no harm was gonna come to you. And all of a sudden there's this united attack by these Jews. And, and by the way, Gallio, Gallio is this new governor that is in charge in the area where Paul is. He's a, he's a government official. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Paul finds himself in front of this tribunal, which means he's in front of the court. He's in front of this judgment seat. This is crazy. He's under attack. He's under pressure. He's standing in front of a government official who will dictate and decide his future. This is, this is absolutely not what Paul was expecting. You know, God just said, Paul, don't be afraid. And Paul's probably like, well, I wasn't until now. What is going on? This doesn't make sense. You know, God often comes through in, in ways that you and I just, just wouldn't expect. In fact, the more you and I see God in action, the more you and I should understand that we should expect the unexpected. You know, God says some amazing things and, and a lot of times we just don't wait for them or we don't see them coming. We should expect the unexpected. God doesn't work in the way that we work. God doesn't work in our timeline and God definitely doesn't work for our wants. He is not a genie. In fact, when I think of expecting the unexpected, 
I really have to place myself where I belong at this lower space to, to God's infinite wisdom and knowledge. You know, Isaiah 55 verses eight and nine, this is just a beautiful picture of how much God knows and how little I know. Scripture says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is the Lord speaking. And your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. Verse nine, for as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I mean, the distance there kind of tells me that I just, I just don't know. I don't know nearly as much as what God knows. And, and what God has planned, man, from, from what I can know and see, he's gonna do things in ways that I just wouldn't think. It would be very unexpected. God just doesn't move or think and work in the same way that I do or you. And, you know, Paul didn't really write down his, his thoughts or his feelings in this moment. But, but because we know Paul is a normal guy, it's, it's pretty fair to say that in the moment, he was thinking, here we go again. You know, here we go again. I'm, I'm being brought up by this group of Jewish leaders and, and I, they're frustrating my ministry. They have these dogmatic opinions and these crazy preferences and they're, they're shutting me down once again. And, and I'm imagining he's sitting there saying, God, I thought you said that no harm would come to me. That, that I could speak and not be afraid, that, that, that I shouldn't stop speaking, absolutely not be silent. You said you would be with me. God, where are you? The Apostle Paul is in a, a, a situation that seems different than what the Lord had just promised him. And at that moment, these, these Jews began laying into Paul by presenting a case to this governor. Look at verse 13. This man, they're talking about Paul, they're saying, this man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. You know, they don't, this is interesting because the, these Jewish leaders who are bringing Paul to this governor, they, they're kind of being slick. They're being very deceptive. Notice that they say to the law, which law would you think that they're talking about? You know, Jewish law? You know, they're talking to a Roman governor. Is it Roman law? They're, they're intentionally, you know, being a little sly with their words because they're hoping that this governor would just kind of immediately lay into Paul and make a decision that would be rash and abrupt so that they could get their way. Uh, it's so general and so vague that they don't even mention that it's their own law that they're talking about be because actually Rome doesn't care about Jewish law or Jewish tradition. They're, they're trying to say this in such a way that they're not lying intentionally to the governor, but they're trying to deceive this man to get what they want. Verse 14, and as Paul was about to open his mouth, this is so important. I mean, think about this. Paul has a ready defense in his head. And, and Paul needs to say something. He's getting ready to defend himself so that, that he can continue on this missionary journey. You know, when, when our future is in somebody else's hands, we might not have the ability or the authority to change the decision or the direction, but we, we at least want to be heard so that it impacts what their decision is going to be. But as he gets ready to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, he just kind of cuts them off before he even gets the opportunity to say anything, which to Paul is very unexpected. This isn't how things have worked for him in the past. Paul is shut down before he has a chance to start up. 
And what Gallio is about to say, what this governor is about to say, it will not only impact Paul in the moment, but this decision will impact the mission he is on moving forward. If this governor agrees with the Jews, this will set precedence for every other Roman governor to shut down any missionary journeys and even churches. This is a big deal. And in this critical moment, Paul, he can't get a word out. This is Gallio speaking. He says, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or of serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. This is incredible. This is incredible. I mean, Paul is getting ready to say something and then he's probably just like, never mind, go ahead, you got this. Governor, shut him down. Gallio looks at these Jews and, and he says, what wrongdoing has this man done? What serious crime has he committed? Has he murdered somebody? And they're like, no, he hasn't. Has he stolen something? He hasn't done that either. Has he at least jaywalked? Can, tell me he's done something wrong that matters. And they're like, no, he hasn't even, he hasn't even jaywalked. And Gallio's just like, I don't care. You're wasting my time. This is truly a, an unexpected response from, from a Roman leader. And let me remind you, I mean, our Lord, our God is sovereign over all things. You know, nothing is beyond God's power and God's authority. No person, no people, no people group, no way of life, no government is beyond God's power and authority. And while Rome is not moving in the direction of honoring Jesus, but God is still using Rome to accomplish his mission. You know, God is using Gallia to accomplish what's happening here in the moment. This governor's decision, it, it doesn't make things more difficult for Paul. It actually gives him the freedom to continue to do what he's been doing. And scripture goes on to say, but, but if these are our questions about words, Gallio is just leaning into this Jewish audience now. He says, if, if these are questions of, uh, about words, names, and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge over such things. What a jab. What a jab to the ego of this united group of Jews. And by the way, this isn't a private conversation that he's having. He's saying this in a place where others can hear. He's saying, this is nonsense. This is ridiculous. This is not a reasonable matter. You're wasting my time. Can you imagine the level of embarrassment these well-educated men were experiencing and feeling here in the moment? No one likes to be told no. And no one likes to be shamed in front of other people. Gallio hands it to him. So he drove them from the tribunal. Get out of here. Get out of my court. I don't want to hear any of your nonsense. He shoved them out of the judgment seat area. He says, uh, uh, get away. And, and by the way, this is embarrassment on top of frustration. You know, the Jews, they've been kicked out of Rome. You remember that? Uh, you know, at the beginning of chapter 18, we learned that the Jews were kicked out of Rome. So, so Rome doesn't care about their issue. Claudius kicked them out and, and now they're being kicked out of this tribunal. 
It's kind of crazy. I mean, this is, this is extremely unexpected. And now they're coming to this new face. You know, Gallio hadn't been in position. According to historical writings, he was kind of newly in position. They, they, went from, they went from one ruler to another ruler, just trying to get the yes that they're looking for. It's kind of like watching a kid play their parents against each other. Have you ever experienced that? Uh, you've certainly done it at some time in your life, right? Where, where your kid or maybe you, you are like, hey, dad, uh, can I go to Billy's house? And dad says, no. So what do you do? You don't go, right? You don't go. Wrong answer. You go to mom and you ask mom, right? You're kind of trying to play each other against each other. Hey, mom, do you mind if I go to Billy's house? You're trying to, to get the yes instead of doing what's best. You start with the easy target. And what does the easy target say? Well, eventually the easy target says, go ask your mom. And, and then when you go to mom, you say, hey, mom, dad said it was okay if, which you know is really not true. Your dad didn't say it was okay. You just kind of are, are playing this game. You're trying to get a yes instead of really doing what's best. You know, when, when parents get wise, they begin saying, what does your dad think? So they can work together. Moms and dads, that's a tip. You know, these Jews, they've been kicked out of Rome. Now they're being kicked out of the court. And by the way, drove them from the tribunal. It doesn't sound, it doesn't sound real gentle and kind. He drove them away from the tribunal. This, this is a recipe for rage. You know, they're not getting what they want from Rome. These Jews are not getting what they want from the courts. They're not getting what they want from their local leaders. They're being called out. They're being silenced. They're being shamed. And, and by the way, they're already an angry mob. Their anger was pointed towards Paul, but, but now, after being shamed, they're uniting against their very own. They, they unite against their very own leader who couldn't get them what they wanted. Look at verse 17. And then they seized Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal, but none of these things mattered to Gallio. What an unexpected turn of events for Paul. You know, not every event in Paul's life was harm-free. I mean, he was often on the run. He was moving from one place to another. He was spreading the message of Jesus, uh, trying to encourage other Christians. He was planning churches. In fact, you know, in chapter 18, we learned that the apostle Paul was here for 18 months. You know, this is the longest time he had spent in any of these cities on his missionary journey up to this point. He was always on the move. And, and he was either talking to people about Jesus, he was planting churches, or, or he was being kicked out of towns, or he was being jailed, or he was being beaten up. But here, the leader of the synagogue, Sosthenes, becomes the, the receiver of the angry mob's rage. And scripture doesn't clearly tell us why this is happening. But being the leader of the Jews who, who have turned into an angry mob and not accomplishing the wants of the angry mob, it, it looks like the angry mob not getting their way turned on their leader. And so Sosthenes, and by the way, he was newly in his position as well. You know, when we look back at verse 8 of chapter 18, we read this. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, like this is just a few verses ago. There was an entirely different leader in place. Why isn't Crispus the leader of this, this group of angry Jews anymore? Well, because he believed in the Lord. 
Like he, he turned his back uh, on the old ways and he started following Jesus. But not just him, uh, along with his whole household and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, they believed and they were baptized. So Crispus is out and Sosthenes, this new guy, he is in. He, he, he replaces uh, uh, Crispus. And, and, you know, sometime, this is so good because sometime in between this very moment where Sosthenes is beaten and Paul's writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Look at, look at what we read here. 1 Corinthians 1, 1. I love this. Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother. They're in Corinth. The, the leader of the synagogue is beaten, which means he's around Paul. He probably spent time with Paul. He probably heard the things Paul was saying, and then his own people turn on him. What, what's, what's winning out here? The fair weather nature of our culture or the grace of Jesus? You know, Paul's probably remembering here in this moment. Don't be afraid. Do not stop speaking. Don't be silent for I am with you. And no one, no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. Because of God's promise, the Apostle Paul needed to expect the unexpected. This isn't how things normally go for Paul. But while we're expecting the unexpected, we can also anticipate that the things God promises are true. If you're taking notes, write this down. We can trust the promises of God. This is kind of another way of saying we should also expect the expected. How do we know what to expect? Scripture is filled with thousands of promises, promises that are meant for us as followers of Jesus. At some point in your life, like you may have received a little book called God's Promises or the Promises of God. And, and maybe you've just searched the internet for, for God's promises and you have just found time after time so many beautiful, wonderful, amazing promises for us as followers of Jesus. Let me just, let me just go through a few of these. Isaiah 40, 29. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Isaiah 41, 13. For I am the Lord your God who holds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life. John 8, 36. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and, and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. It is impossible for you and I to experience the promises of God without truly knowing God. And when you enter into a personal relationship with Jesus, there, that's like the greatest interruption of your life. Here's what I know. If you have really met Jesus, he's gonna interrupt your life. If, if you have really met Jesus, he's gonna interrupt your life. We see that all over this chapter. We see that with, with Crispus. I mean, he, uh, he started believing in Jesus Christ. He and his whole household and so many other Corinthians, uh, they believed and were baptized. Sosthenes, I mean, this guy took Crispus' spot, Crispus spot and, and then 
like later in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see that now he's following Jesus. And nowhere in this chapter is it more evident that, that Paul is a changed man. You can see that everything he does, he's trying to do to glorify Jesus. And by the way, Paul's resume is very long. You know, he has a very impressive list of spiritual qualifications. Let me just read from uh, Philippians chapter three, verses five and six. This is, this is Paul talking, kind of, he's not bragging. He's saying, if I have a right to brag, let me tell you, let me tell you about me. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day uh, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, I persecuted the church. By the way, the apostle Paul, he was a part of the first like murdering of a Christian, like the first martyrdom. Like he was there watching and encouraging him. He says, regarding the righteous that is in the law, he says, I'm blameless. I followed the law to, to perfection. If anybody has a right to brag, it's the apostle Paul. But then, then the apostle Paul, he meets Jesus. He recognized that he is a sinner in desperate need of a savior. And even though all those things were very impressive by human standards, Jesus had a different plan for his life. Paul's life was interrupted and forever changed. If you're truly following Jesus, he's interrupted your life. If you're not experiencing that interruption, look at the person of Jesus because he is calling us to live differently. You can't follow your own plan if you're following God's purpose. You just can't. And my guess is that right now, you are experiencing an interruption in life or you're living in the interruption right now. You know, we wanna, we wanna see people grow in, in this new direction that Jesus is calling us to. Not, not the, the standard playbook that the world hands us, but in this new direction of new life that Jesus Christ gives to us. You know, next week, Pastor Quentin, he's gonna ask each and every one of us to just come up with two bold faith moves. A, a bold faith move of spiritual influence and one of spiritual growth. One that drives our roots deeper in our relationship with Jesus, but one that spans our arms to a world that needs to hear about Jesus. Uh, I would love it if you just pray. You know, I mean, give you a week to pray about two bold faith moves to, to just be ready to kind of say, this is what I think God is calling me to. How to share, how to influence others and, and how to grow deeper in my own walk. You know, Paul, Paul is living a life of spiritual influence. He, he had been in Corinth for a year and a half and, and now here uh, we see that it's time for him to go. So he sailed on to Syria with Priscilla and Aquila. And in verse 19, we read this. When they reached Ephesus, he left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and he debated with the Jews. This is just what Paul does. This is a part of his pattern. He goes into towns, he goes into the synagogue, he has conversations about Jesus. He's engaging with people who are waiting on a Messiah. And he says, the Messiah has been here and he has given his life for you. But he's only in Ephesus for, for a very brief time. Uh, when, when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he de declined, but, but he said this, farewell, he added, I'll come back to you again if God wills. Then, then he set sail from Ephesus. You know, uh, this marks the end uh, of, his, of his journey. 
He's, he's winding down his second missionary journey. And we see, we see this a lot in our culture, if God wills. You know, to Paul, this meant I'm on mission. I'm on mission for God and with God. And I'm gonna go wherever he tells me to go. And when he says stay, I'm going to stay. But here in the 21st century, when you hear somebody say, if God wills, it might mean, let me go home, let me pray about it, and let me tell you no tomorrow. Like we do that as Christians, don't we? You know, the text, you know, here should be a lot uh, more powerful and less awkward. He's really saying, I'm going to do whatever the Lord calls me to do. Verse 22, on landing at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem. Uh, he greeted the church and then he went down to Antioch. He's just winding down his second missionary journey and he's gearing up for this third missionary journey that he's, uh, he's heading out on. Verse 23, after spending some time there, he set out traveling uh, through one place after another in the region of Galatia and Phrygia, uh, strengthening, strengthening all the disciples. What an incredible bold faith move of spiritual influence. Paul understood uh, what Jesus was saying when, when he calls us to, to be spiritual influencers, when he calls us to be bearers of light. You are the light of the world. You are a city situated on a hill that cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I love this because Jesus isn't just kind of talking to the first century church. He's not just talking to people like Paul. He's talking to all of us. You know, maybe you even underline the word you in your Bible or you highlight it in your version Bible app because the you he's referring to is you and me. Like we are light bearers. You and I, we get the privilege to live as light in a dark world. Sometimes living as light, it got the Apostle Paul in trouble. Like you know that if you've spent any time in your Bible or if you have been listening to this message or last week's message, you know that Paul got into trouble because he was just very clearly vocal for Jesus. But this is the kind of trouble you wanna get into. You wanna get in trouble for doing the right things. You, you don't wanna you know, live a, an uninterrupted life when God is calling you to take risks. You want him to interrupt that so that you can get back on mission. And here in chapter 18, we see Paul shining his light before men. And the result, what we know is that some gave glory to God while, while others persecuted him. And this is, this is actually a pretty familiar scene, but maybe not in the way that you're thinking. I mean, think about everything we talked about. Think about what happened to the apostle Paul as, as we just taught through this, these few verses today. I mean, Paul was taken. He was brought before a governor. He was waiting for judgment. Paul didn't speak a word. The governor said, I see nothing wrong with this man. And all of that, it just stirred up the crowd, which is very similar to what we see in Jesus. When Jesus was taken, I mean, Jesus was brought before Pilate, a Roman governor. You know, the governor says, I see nothing wrong with this man. And Jesus said nothing. Jesus didn't defend himself there in the moment. And, 
the governor washed his hands and said, I don't see anything going that just stirred up these Jews. It stirred up these Jews who brought Jesus to the governor. But instead of turning on themselves like they did here in Acts chapter 18, they had uh, their eyes locked in on Jesus. They were going to do whatever they could to get the yes instead of doing what's best. They had a desire to murder Jesus and they will do anything that they can to justify that. Jesus was interrupting their lives. And these Jews, they didn't want their lives interrupted. And, and my hope is that all of our lives have been interrupted by Jesus. That at some point in our lives, as we have been walking toward destruction, as we are living in our brokenness and our sin, and as we, we just kind of pursue more sin, it just leads to more brokenness. And my hope is that Jesus steps in and, and he interrupts us as we're walking this path of destruction. But when Jesus interrupts our lives, he just does it in the most amazing way. My hope is that he's grabbed your attention, that, that you have been interrupted by the grace and the mercy of Jesus. It's actually quite startling because it's so abundant and amazing and free. You know, right now, we're going to actually give you an opportunity to take communion. Communion is a symbol of what Jesus has done for us, but it's also a moment of anticipation of what Jesus is yet to do. Jesus' body, it was broken and, and his blood was shed as an offering to pay a debt that, that you and I owe. This should, this should blow your mind that, that the one we wronged has stepped in to make things right. Just as a reminder, uh, communion, you don't need to be a member of Valley Church to take communion, but you do need to be a member of the family of God. Communion is only for those who are following Jesus. And uh, here's how you know if you're following Jesus. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us are sinners and we have broken our relationship with God. And Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. While we are broken, you and I, we cannot mend ourselves. We need Jesus for that. And Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So salvation, it doesn't come from from working hard enough. Salvation doesn't come from a prayer you pray. Salvation comes from a person, the person of Jesus and his sacrificial act on the cross and through the resurrection. So if you've given your life to Christ and maybe somebody like in the room or online has done that right now, I just want you to know we invite you to take communion. Jesus says, I'm the sacrifice. Jesus pays the price of the debt that you and I owe. Communion, just as a reminder, it's a, it's a celebration of what Christ has done and it's a moment of anticipation of what he's going to do as he returns for his people. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, the apostle Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. This is an incredible moment for us to celebrate who Jesus is. Let me pray. God, thanks for today. God, thanks for all you have done for us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. It is a gift that none of us will ever fully understand, but we are so grateful for your grace and your mercy. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Take when you're ready.